From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 128 of the Killing It Killing It podcast. This is Carl joined today by Dave and Ryan. And we're going to switch up our intro. Dave, hit us. Well, yeah, because we were a little boring last week and we're tired of doing we the same thing. Boring. We're going to completely admit it. So this was so boring. We're going to warm ourselves up here with a little bit of a fun question. Gents, have you ever had or witnessed a drop the mic moment? I'm not entirely sure what that means. Ryan. Uh, yes, um, I, I know exactly what it means, and I can say for a fact I have never personally had one where I just nailed it so well, so concisely, that you could just literally stop talking. Uh, you guys know me. My answer is, I almost made the point, I'm going to keep talking and see if I can get closer, and eventually everybody will nod and go, okay, cool, we got it, stop talking. I don't believe you. I, I don't believe you have ever <laughs> not talked. That's the thing. I I've, 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 I've personally never actually been good enough to drop the mic and walk away i have witnessed it i will i will tell you that in certain corporate situations my favorite and i won't say the vendor because it would be mean but it was at a national sales kickoff meeting all of their hundreds and hundreds of salespeople, and uh, one of the reps asked a question of the ceo challenging him on their compensation plan and um the ceo's response in front of everybody in public was well, maybe you're just not the best match for what we need in a sales rep and you could have heard a pin Ooh. drop in a room full of a thousand people i was like "Ooh, i think i just peed a little I'll throw out a quick one before we, we move into the main, but for me, there well, it was almost a virtual mic drop moment. Uh, I've always laughed about the like the arms race of events and everyone trying to top everybody else. I will say that when Snoop Dogg came out and opened DattoCon, I texted Rob Ray and I said, you won. <laughs> and it's, that, that it is that that is essentially the untoppable moment. And it was essentially done. That taught, like that was enough to say. It was the legitimately coolest that any MSP event has ever been, or will ever, be. or will ever be again. Like that is Mission the peak. It's kind of done. You cannot top that surprise <laughs> and that move. It's over. <laughs> but before we dive in, we are brought to you by our good friends at Ignite. Are you still using on-prem file servers and VPNs to share files with remote workers? Ignite is a business class cloud sharing solution that works more like your on-prem server than other solutions. With a security-first approach to file sharing and collaboration, Ignite offers multiple options for sharing files and collecting files from outside sources. And do it all addressing data governance and compliance. Want to learn more? Check out ignite.com slash MSP, and when you do, tell them we sent you. All righty, so topic number one today, Gartner has out their latest and greatest hype cycle, which is focused on one of our favorite topics of all time, which is emerging technology. And so we're going to link to this graphic, but for those of you who are not familiar with the hype cycle, uh, as Ryan was pointing out before we got started with our recording, the names for the for the stages are actually quite delightful. 
and, and a perfect example of that, I would say, is my favorite item on this list is non-fungible tokens, literally at the peak of inflated expectations and about to head towards the trough of disillusionment. I, I think that is a very accurate piece of information right there. So I'll tell you what I do every time one of these comes out. The first thing I always do is I look at plateau will be reached and I look for the one that is the, the shortest time frame. Because if I'm thinking about this with my solution provider hat on, that means in the next two years, I can sell something that is in the plateau of productivity that is legit and baked in. I must observe that for this particular one, there is not a single item that is that close, that there's nothing less than two years away. That then you get into stuff that is potentially in the two to five year range, like generative AI, uh, employee communications, composable applications, your non-fungible tokens, decentralized identity. Those are two to five years out from full productivity. They're the ones that I would think, all right, I'm at least intrigued because, you know, in the foreseeable future, I might be able to do stuff with them. That's the lens that I always take to this first. And I was actually a little disappointed to go, wow, there's nothing coming useful in the next two years. Well, not in emerging well, technologies. Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, and see, this thing, I think the reason why folks like the three of us actually do this for a living are in the business of technology is that we look at those things two to five years out and we go, ooh, that's cool, right? It's the sci-fi twist on what might eventually be possible with technology. I remember sitting through an event in Denver, Colorado years ago, the first time I ever heard of nanobots. And they were there to introduce to us. And ironically, it was not run by a group of technologists. It was run by a group of venture capitalists. And they were looking for participants in a seed fund to invest in early stage technologies. But the stories that they told us about nanobots 15 years ago, I was like, okay, so I don't know if that's real or if that's just a really good pitch for a Hollywood movie. But I was in, man. That stuff was fascinating. I think on this list... What's most interesting to me, as, as the, uh, the Gartner folks have identified, is the degree to which we have finally admitted as technologists that trust matters and that we are now starting to develop technologies that address the question of it's not just machine learning or artificial intelligence or some robot that's making a decision on the data that it perceives but that they are trying to reintroduce the element of, hey, by the way, there's humans behind all of this information and technology, and we are here to make sure you feel it's okay. Right now, there's, there's a lot of room to go, I think, to improve some of that. But when you look at security, when you look at data analytics, when you look at some of the automation technologies that are on this list, I think naturally those who are not sci-fi geeks like us on, on emerging technologies. I think you look at that and most of the people respond like, oh crap, that sounds terrible. Why would you want a technology to do that? <laughs> we as technologists have to embrace this idea that uh, if the humans don't feel safe with your innovation, 
doesn't matter how cool that innovation is. I think one of the interesting elements of this is how little AI is seen as, you know, emerging and in, in, in the innovation trigger stage, um, because there's been so much news about AI, but it's like, it's almost like there's going to be this gap where they, we just, we sort of take care of what we're doing for now, uh, and then wait a few years for the next generation of AI to come. Uh, and maybe we need that. Maybe we need to like stay on this plateau a little while and, and figure out the AI we've got. Well, they do have, I mean, remember, they, they take, they put out a lot of these because, by the way, that's how Gartner makes money. I always remember right, that right. doing the analysis. So they put, the, this one is just things that they have put into the emerging technology emerging. bucket. Um, and I think, you know, some of what, what we're talking about uh, in terms of AI is no longer on the emerging technologies bit. That's in more mainstream and other of their analysis. Right. But that's what I'm saying is that the, the emerging piece of AI seems to be much smaller than the fairly well-developed piece of AI. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of places where AI with phenomenal cosmic potential has really struggled for some practical use cases. And we're doing the trough of disillusionment, I think, in a lot of those cases where people are going back to their design palette and saying, okay, what could it really practically be used for? And then it will reemerge into the plateau of productivity, right? Like that's something that I do anticipate. What I think is interesting, and just as a specific point here, uh, Bitcoin based on cryptocurrency technologies, which is built on the premise of, uh, uh, of the blockchain, I'm not sure that cryptocurrency is going to be the most important result of blockchain technology. I think that blockchain is going to have much more impact when it comes to the financial system, not cryptocurrencies, and your your decentralized or federated identity and the non-fungible storage that we talked about last week. The ability to create a record that cannot be altered by anybody for any reason so that there is one version of the truth as a byproduct of well, everybody freaked out about like, ooh, Bitcoin is going to change the world. Yeah, but actually, I think what's going to change the world is one little sliver of the underlying technology that yielded Bitcoin. I think that's actually really meaningful. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh and go, you know, infinite cosmic power reminds me of infinite cosmic power. Itty bitty living space from exactly. Aladdin. So it's always yeah. an Aladdin reference. That's why I actually where I thought he was going. I totally thought he it was is. going there. So itty bitty well, user with, use cases. Exactly. Well, with that, I'm going to actually move us into another topic, which is strangely related. Um, I, this one's from TechCrunch, and it fascinated me because it's about this uh, company, Senas, Sanas. Uh, S-A-N-A-S, who is aiming to use AI to convert an accent from one accent to another in real time, where their use case that they're focused on is customer service calls. That with the dispersion of customer service and the to the four corners of the world, uh, that oftentimes accents from the UK or from the US are much more desirable than accents from elsewhere in the world. And if a AI can do the conversion in real time, that would be a potentially useful feature for, for some. I will admit, I, I actually went on a bit of the journey that the author of the article did too, is I really had my moment of like, oh, that seems kind of icky. 
wait, well, maybe it isn't. Maybe it actually is using the technology for advantage. And I wanted to bring it to, to this group and say, all right, guys, AI that's changing people's accent for customer service. What's the ethics there from your perspective? At the crudest level, I think the fear is that this will say, oh, people like to hear white middle class folks speak. And so let's make everybody talk like that. But quite realistically, there are different accents that are more appealing to different people, depending on, on lots of variables. I mean, if you think about it, I was raised in a family with a lot of Germanic and Russian background. And believe it or not, there are certain accents in the world that it's easier for me to understand them for only the reasons that certain hard vowel sounds exist. Right. And so it, it's, it's got nothing to do with race per se, but just certain sounds, certain language that has these sounds, even if it's a very strong foreign accent, I can understand it much more easily than others. And so um, it depends on like all things with AI, it depends on how they apply it. Right. Is it simply to, to reinforce existing biases, which is the, I think the biggest weakness of AI. Uh, or is it to actually say, oh, people who understand that language uh, don't mind a, uh, a Filipino accent. It's a little easier to understand than a Chinese accent. Well, and, and that is the question of did they go a step too far or did they go just far enough? If the purpose of the AI was to listen and understand multiple accents and allow people, regardless of their accent, to access automated service systems, That'd be a great idea, right? Because I still know very many people, including my wife, who complain like Siri doesn't understand me. Like I no matter what I say, I just I cannot say it clearly enough that I can get picked up. And if that's a problem occasionally for somebody like me, that is a massive problem from somebody from the Indian subcontinent or from China or from Singapore if they are speaking English. That's if if the AI said Irrespective of your of your accent, you will easily be understood by the machine and you can use the automated customer service teller just as cleanly and easily as anybody else can. I think that would be a brilliant piece of technology. If it goes one step further and its purpose is to whitewash, and yes, I choose that term on purpose, if your job is to whitewash out any quote-unquote not my favorite accents to listen to, then I think you've gone too far in that situation. Now, I mean, I will say, right, hands down, my very favorite thing about what we do for a living, getting on airplanes, traveling around the world, talking to people in the, the business of technology from every single country, language, and accent, I have tremendous fun and enjoyment listening to other people's accents. And, and, and forcing myself to tune my ear to pick up the English words that are being spoken in French or, you know, a French speaker or an Indian speaker or a Chinese speaker when they're doing that. I think that's fun. I think that's awesome. I admit not everybody has that. And people go, Ugh, I can't even understand them. I wish there was somebody who could make it easier. My answer usually is try harder. <laughs> well, and this is where this is where I'm I'm really torn and I want to like it because I actually think, you know, it, it and again, acknowledging the perspective of three white men talking about it. Like, let's let's have that you know, like, is 
there are different accents that different and people hear accents differently. And so there's an element of me that says if this allows all groups, particularly those who are, who may have been marginalized to be understood better or to put them in a place where they can be understood better, like better, then then this is this is a, a, a an equality equity style approach that I'm interested that I, that I think is a really good thing. Um, yep. you know, and, and so, so I, I look at it from that perspective and think there are, there are applications and there's a certain element of like the ability to, to control it and customize it for individual use. Like, you know, for example, I don't necessarily think it is a bad thing where, uh, translation can be done between two, both languages or accents so that everyone can be effectively heard. So for example, if you you know, if you're corrected, but at the same time, I don't want to remove someone's ability to present themselves the way they want to be presented. So it's a certain degree of like how that's done and how the controls are in thought through that. I hope this, that those that implement this technology do, by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't say tackling those hard questions of the way of techno technology is applied is an awesome technology consulting opportunity. Like I keep beating on that going like solving our problem. You said difficult and I heard money. Exactly. I, mean, I, I always <laughs> like to say like hard problems are worth spent like, but being, but it takes real thought. It takes thought of the downside of the application to make sure you thought through that side, the technology itself isn't the problem it's how it's applied and how it's potentially unintentionally applied right well and the other thing is that, that historically the growth of cities has resulted in the loss of dialects i mean that's just a natural thing that happens and it's happened in every country that's got a big city and what happens going forward is we have a, a growing number of mega cities that have, that have more than 10 million in population and that number of cities is going to explode in the next 50 years this is a piece of that as well that as we get more and more people connected more and more people who need to be able to communicate the good side is it gives them access the bad side is that access might come at a price of losing local dialects right or but by the way there's other there's other use cases we may not have thought about like those with with difficulty hearing you know, this may help clarify that if, if you have, you know, the, have, you, you can clarify that it can. Or speech impediments. Right. Speech impediments like this. There's lots here that, that, that there is a positive to. It's making sure that it is thoughtful on the use cases and the applications. Exactly. Right. So to your point, Dave, how it is applied is the determining factor of whether this is a force for good or a force for bad. And, and I agree there are very many use cases where access and equal standing in a conversation from of people from many different backgrounds, I think that's a terrific use of AI. I do believe, however, that there's too much flavor, right? We, we've been through in the last 20 years a globalization effect in our industry. We work with people from all over the place, and you have to be able to communicate. 20 years ago, when I traveled to Europe and would, uh, would participate in events, every single one of them required translators in the back of the room. Everybody had a microphone. Everybody had a speaker in their ear, and they listened in their local language. These days, you go to Europe, you go to Asia. If you're working in the technology industry, 
we've evolved to where everybody speaks English, which is nice and convenient for me. I'm sure it's not nearly as easy for the people from China, but it is, it is an inevitable effect that we have had. Accents the next layer of that. So I think we have to be careful with how we de- how we rank the desirability of certain accents. I heard a great piece of advice uh, one time. I got into a cab in the Czech Republic, and the cab driver asked me, "Do you speak English, Czech, or Italian?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's a very odd question." And he said, "Well, everybody should speak the language of the country they're in." English and another European language. Now, of course, that's a very European-centric view of the world. But uh, to his point, he speaks Czech, Italian, and English, and can speak to basically anybody who gets in his cab. <laughs> so, you know, he was Which, he was the human version of this, right? He he was the somewhat universal translator. Um, a lot of what is going on with this AI is trying to also help people to basically participate at a higher level than they had before. And to that extent, uh, I think it's a great adventure. Uh, I just, like Dave said, I hope they do it right. Absolutely true. And in the spirit of an unintentional theme, let's shift over to our third topic here that has also uh, a, a hook to the world of travel, specifically business travel. So the article that we're going to highlight speaks to one of those situations where we want to start this topic by saying, Congratulations, technology industry. You have succeeded in getting widespread adoption of a new and disruptive technology, specifically in this case, the idea of remote communication and collaboration technologies. Dot, dot, dot. Be careful what you wish for, because as a direct result of this, the folks at Bloomberg did a survey of CEOs who have indicated 84% of them intend post-pandemic, right, not because of the pandemic or any safety issues that are going on. But once we get rid of the safety issues, 84% of CEOs intend to reduce their spending on business travel significantly because they have learned through the last 18 months that remote access and collaboration technologies work very well. So, yay, we succeeded with remote technology. Ah, crap. Now we're going to lose out on all the cool business travel. What's, yeah, uh, what's your feedback, guys? I have to say, I'm always a cynic about these these kinds of stats where people tell you what they're going to do in the future because uh, my, my motto is always, buyers are liars. So, you know, you ask people their opinion, they will, they will give you an answer. That doesn't necessarily mean that that answer represents their future behavior. And uh, so I do think overall spending will be lower how much lower is to be, remains to be seen. And the minute the pandemic's over, all these numbers get thrown out the window because now you have a different reality. So what people think they're gonna do and what they actually do may not be very well correlated. I do think there's going to be a permanent shift. I just don't know whether it's gonna be 5%, 10% or 30%. I don't think it's gonna be 50, 60, 80%. Yep, we're, we're, we're debating over the number. Like, so, so the, 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 the anecdotal bit that I keep using is, is that the, uh, the old school sales guy line of, this is a relationship business. I've got to shake their hand in order to win that business. I think that's just totally dead because uh, if you have been running a business successfully for the past 
oh, 18 months or so, and you have literally not been able to do that, and you are hitting your sales numbers, you have actual evidence that says that is bullshit. <laughs> now, now, you there may be fair cases for certain kinds of deals, certain kinds of travel, certain implementations. I just think the blanket old school thinking of I will accept this because I don't want to jeopardize the, 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 the sale, that kind of thing is gone because there's actual evidence to say, yeah, that's not the factor. <laughs> now, if you have other justification, like, like I'm, we talk about this all the time. I don't think business travel is dead, right? I don't think it's gone. I think it's different. I think the rules of engagement are different. The justifications now are different. And people's willingness are also, is also different, right? For example, you know, I, I publicly sort of said, I don't expect to do as much. Why? Because I felt like I had to, to hit those bits. Oh, by the way, it's been proven to me I don't have to do that anymore. It's been proven to me I do not have to, right? So but, but I can be selected. It was, it was proven in a crucible in which nobody else could travel either. So your competition wasn't traveling, shaking hands, buying drinks, and, and sure. slapping. But but back. remember, I can pass on the savings, uh, <laughs> right? I can I can pass on the savings for not all doing all that stuff by doing it faster, cheaper, easier, without that, right? So so again, it, you're right. You're totally right. We're trying to make some judgments about what the the where this is going. I'm we're all agreeing the the numbers are mixed up. Right. And different people are going to come up with different strategies around it. What I'm just my point on this is that the it's just proven that the old one of the well, we, you know, it's got to be this way has been proven to be incorrect. I put on my finance guy hat on this saying if they're trying to find cheaper, faster ways of doing it, they're going to look at expenses and say, yeah, that's expensive. I think we can do it another way. Well, and what I find absolutely fascinating and ironic in the article that we're highlighting, as well as the broader conversation, uh, according to this article, the world's biggest airlines collectively lost a whopping $126 billion in 2020, and they are set to lose another $48 billion in 2021. And yet, the example that they use to begin this conversation is of an executive from Delta Airlines, of all places, using remote technology to virtually tour their operations, facilities, and plants and interact with the people who are quote-unquote on the ground. Because what used to require a trip there in order to manage those facilities now no longer requires that trip there. And I think, yo, Delta. <laughs> do you know what you do for a living? Are you paying attention to your own brand in this world at all? Or are you actually telling us, you know, we don't even use those stinking old things called planes to do our business. Why would any of you? Eh, that guy's got to be a little bit careful with his storyline there. But it does bring up the question of, okay, so what are those technologies that might be good enough that they would legitimately say, I could be just as successful. I, I think Teams and Zoom, et cetera, uh, they're okay for certain applications. I think that a lot of the back end of our collaboration, calendaring, communication, file sync and share, I think those things are very well established and Teams can work effectively. I will say 
I will call a humongous bullshit on Mark Zuckerberg's latest efforts around the metaverse. I don't buy that very weird and awkward Weebles technology. And if you're not old enough to know what a Weeble is, then uh, ask me offline and I'll, exp I'll explain that to you. I, I think that, that the current iterations of you'll never have to go anywhere ever again because Mark Zuckerberg wants to sell you an Oculus um, and, and use that for meetings virtually in person. Uh, okay, keep working, guys, because right now that one is not in the ooh interesting category for me. That's in the that's creepy and weird category. Well, I mean, look, technology <laughs> that makes you look like a tool does not work, right? <laughs> like so a like, literal so, tool. So, well, you know, let's let's borrow from sci-fi for a moment for that example in terms of so so I don't believe putting on goggles that make you look like an idiot is the future of work. But if I'm going to borrow from some sci-fi, the idea of the Jedi Council all dialing in in Star Wars, where half of them are holograms, and they can they are interact like that, I buy right. Like I buy that that we could have a meeting where it is where some people are represented virtually and some people are represented physically, and it is normalized in a space together. I buy that. I buy the version of where, if you look at Google's keynote from the summer, where they did the the booth, you could sit down and you could speak to somebody and you could see them, and it looked like a hologram, and it felt normal. Like I buy that application of the technology, right? And so it's a matter of how do we get, how are we getting to the workable version of that, that is better than what we have now, and I believe there will be continued investment in that and we'll move that way well to bring this back to what our listeners do for a living i would say what's probably going to be the biggest solid change that you could predict is that sales will continue to be remote but if you do consulting work showing up to execute the work uh, will still happen in large numbers separate from this discussion the movement to the cloud means that more and more of that work is also going to be remote. So, you know, the, I think the sales piece is solidly, you have, there's a much higher bar that you have to reach in order to get on a plane, because now you're saying that you're going to add whatever, a thousand or $2,000 to every sales call. No, that I think Willie Loman's days are over when it comes to that. But when it, when it comes to actually executing the work, if you're in a consulting business, you sell online and then you deliver in person, and then that gets weeded out a little bit at a time. Absolutely. And, and again, to what you guys do for a living, please make this part of your practice. You know your customers are living this question. They are struggling with, do I go? Do I do it remote? How do I work this out? You are literally the professional subject matter expert who can A, provide them with the tools and technology, and B, with all of the implementation integration services, and C, with all of that coaching and consulting on the right way to adapt your business in this direction, remote collaboration ought to be a primary practice area for every MSP these days. And that will do it for episode 128 of the Killing It, Killing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.